Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Heather Madden, Director of Operations and Policy Research at Independent Women's Forum, and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Hadley Heath Manning, Director of Policy at Independent Women's Forum. We're going to be discussing the special exemption that Congress and their staffers enjoy from the Affordable Care Act. Hadley, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for being our host today, Heather. So, Hadley, as you know, healthcare is a, is a big concern for Americans. For a while now, insurance companies have been exiting the exchanges, leaving some people with only one or even zero options to choose from when shopping for insurance. Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services released a report that confirms and continues the bad trend that we've come to expect from the Affordable Care Act, which is fewer options and higher costs. So what can be done to help these Americans who are suffering as a result? Oh, that's a good question, Heather. And I know a lot of people have spent a lot of time thinking about that question. What can we do about Obamacare? What can we do about the current status of our health care policy? Um, and you're right. It's not uh, the picture that we're looking at today is not good. That report that you referred to uh, from the Department of Health and Human Services measured sort of what's available for people who buy Obamacare plans um, in 2018. Right now, we're in the middle of open enrollment for 2018 plan year. And the average premium for these plans uh, for the second lowest cost silver plan, which is sort of a benchmark, has increased 37% this year. Last year, that premium increased 24%. So year over year, we're just continuing to see high increases in the cost that um, American consumers and their families are, are facing for health insurance. And not only that, but they've got fewer options. You mentioned this, but um, about 29% of enrollees will only have uh, one health insurance carrier available to them uh, who's offering Obamacare exchange plans. And just a couple years ago in 2016, that number was 2%. So we've gone uh, from 2% of the market to 29% of the market, people who have that uh, only that one carrier available to them. And that part of the market includes eight entire states. So there are eight entire states that only have one carrier participating in their exchange. And lawmakers across the political spectrum have tried to address this. You know, we saw Republicans making efforts this summer to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act with, um, you know, plans that would basically... Uh, change the way people buy health insurance, offering a little more flexibility, offering states the opportunity to change some of the rules that govern health insurance. And those plans also importantly repealed the employer mandate, the individual mandate. They they repealed a lot of the taxes in the Affordable Care Act. So uh, those plans failed. We know how that story uh, ended up this summer anyway. It was um, not a not a good season for Republicans who wanted to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. On the other hand, you got a lot of Democrats who will at least tacitly omit that or admit that um, the Affordable Care Act isn't working, and um, they do this because they've got their you know other plans, like Senator Bernie Sanders, for example, suggests replacing Obamacare with sort of a Medicare for all solution. And so I think there's bipartisan agreement that what we have today isn't the right solution, isn't working. Um, But unfortunately, we haven't um, been able to enact a solution yet that's going to offer real relief to Americans and their families. 
Yeah, and, you know, it makes me wonder if, if lawmakers and their staff, if they're subject to the same rules as everyone else, because it seems like if that were the case, it would certainly give them a greater interest in fixing our healthcare system. Okay, yeah, so this is an important point, and uh, this is sort of what we're here to talk about today, and that's the special exemption. So very smart people in the healthcare debate recognize that there's sort of a, a different approach when lawmakers have sort of different interests from the people that they represent from their constituents. And people who are in the halls of Congress, whether they are members of Congress themselves or senators or staffers and aides to uh, people who make the laws, they have a different uh, reality when it comes to the Affordable Care Act. And that's not really how it should be. That's not the way that the Affordable Care Act said that it should be. Actually, the ACA, the law passed in 2010, included a requirement that if you work in Congress, if you're a member or senator, if you have, if you're a staff person, you have to enroll in a plan, a health insurance plan created by the Affordable Care Act. And the idea behind this very sensible amendment is um, to, to expose lawmakers to the realities of the law that they're writing and that they're passing, they're enacting on the American people. Unfortunately, that provision hasn't been implemented. It hasn't been carried out correctly. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, I think eventually some people who work in Congress saw this coming and they said, you know, we've got a really sweet deal with our current health insurance benefit, which is called the Federal Employee Health Plan. And uh, the Federal Employee Health Benefit Plan is basically an employer kind of provided health insurance for people who work in the federal government, including Congress. And uh, so they went to then uh, President Obama and they said, we really don't want to enroll in plans created by the ACA. We want to keep the benefits that we have. And so President Obama uh, helped these lawmakers work out a special sort of exemption that allowed them to, you know, keep some of their staff in that federal employee health benefit plan, and then for others, including the actual members of Congress, actual senators, and people who are official office staff, those people are enrolled in plans created by the Affordable Care Act, but interestingly, <laughs> they manage to work it out so that they're enrolled in plans created for small businesses. They shop in the Washington, D.C. Small Business Exchange. And I know that's confusing because Congress is not a small business. It's pretty clear that Congress has more employees than 50 people. But the reason they did it this way was because if you shop in this small business health exchange, then you can bring with you some kind of employer contribution. And in the case of Congress, the employer contribution is a taxpayer-funded contribution, right? It's a subsidy. It's something that you and I pay for with our tax dollars, and it covers about 75% of the premiums uh, that members of Congress have to pay, and they're all enrolled in a gold plan, which is pretty nice, pre pretty good coverage. You can imagine, you know, there's bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. So members of Congress are getting a, a one-of-a-kind subsidy that's really not available to anyone else. I know a lot of people have heard about subsidies um, that support your premium payments under the Affordable Care Act, but those, you know, for everyone else are limited by your income. And we know that members of Congress make far too much money to qualify for any income-based subsidy under the Affordable Care Act. And this is really, um, this is an important point because not only 
does it sort of influence the incentives available to lawmakers when they're considering changes to the Affordable Care Act? But it's really a fairness issue. And if you poll people, this is not going to surprise you at all, Heather, but uh, when Independent Women's Voice did polling on this issue, 92% of people responded and said, this is not fair, this isn't right, that lawmakers and their staff members can have this special treatment that's not available to anyone else. It creates sort of a an elite ruling class that's over and above the options that are available to normal people. Yeah, you know, that's a much better bargain than mainstream, uh, you know, mainstream Americans get much better than, uh, you know, any deal that, you know, of anyone that I know. So, um, you know, to be frank, it, it, like you were saying, it sounds like this exemption is, is really bad policy that puts distance between Congress and the American people and, you know, fuels this perceived sense of entitlement enjoyed by those within the Washington establishment bubble. Um, so, you know, that leads me to my ne- next question, which is, do you think this special privilege has eroded the public's trust in government at all? Well, I mean, look at the political realities of today. Look at who the president is. I mean, it's clear that American uh, voters have a real desire for outsiders, right? This was the whole thing with President Trump. He was going to drain the swamp. He was against the establishment. And there has been, I think, for a long time, that erosion of trust that you're talking about. But in the case of the special treatment with Obamacare, I mean, Obamacare has really been a lightning rod issue. I mean, so many people, it doesn't matter what you thought about politics before. Every year, it's always this time of year, right, during open enrollment, when we hear about our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, they get their notices in the mail, they might have a plan that was canceled, or they might have a premium that's doubling or tripling. And that real-world impact on people Definitely, you know, that hits people where it hurts. It hits them in their pocketbook. And, and that has definitely created a problem for lawmakers. It's it's added to this anti-establishment fervor uh, in our political world. And, and you know, it's not everyone. And I, I would say this is interesting when you talk about the, the distance between lawmakers and the American people. Senator uh, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin actually noticed, you know, this is going on, this is wrong. He, he didn't like it. To this day, he writes a check back to the federal government because he doesn't think it's right to get this special treatment. But initially, his approach was to file a lawsuit and, and to say, this is so wrong, this can't be legal. But he had to prove in court, you know, of course, the court wants to know when you file a claim, how have you been harmed? Well, he was arguing that his harm was really that distance that you're talking about between him and the people that he represents. Um, So I thought that was an interesting factoid. And he's not the only one. I mean, I know uh, Senator David Vitter from Louisiana was leading the charge against this in the Senate. And even to this day, Representative Ron DeSantis, and uh, he's a representative from Florida, he's um, filed legislation in the House of Representatives to try to push back against this. But it's really sad the the way that... um, so many lawmakers would prefer to just keep quiet about it and keep their special privilege rather than address that there's a wrong taking place here. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. So looking ahead, what can be done to right this wrong? Can the president take action to end the special exemption? Exactly. Yes, it was something that President Obama did, um, along with the Office of Personnel Management, the OPM. And so any decision basically that's made on the on the executive side without, you know, any lawmaking or any um, legislative action can be undone the same way. 
that's, you know, sort of been the undoing of President Obama's legacy in so many ways. But it's also true with respect to this OPM rule. And there are some members of Congress who have filed legislation. Um, Ron Johnson in the Senate, this is another example. He wants to take away the special treatment only for senators and for members of Congress um, and to keep the, the you know, current status for staff members. But it would be better if the president acted to do this. Um, it's a shame that Congress and the, and the Senate never voted on this special treatment in the first place, but it's obvious why they would not want to vote on such a benefit uh, for themselves and, and wouldn't want the sunlight on that. So President Trump can act right away. I think it's a difficult political situation because he wants to have a, a better relationship with Congress. And, and I don't know that this would necessarily foster warm feelings, but it would certainly go a long way with the president's base, people who elected him and expect him uh, to take the appropriate actions to really level the playing field between uh, lawmakers and their constituents. Right. And, you know, um, and it would they've been illegally, um, you know, shielded for years from from the same consequences that that others are facing. Uh, so I think I think most people would agree with you, as polls have, have showed, as you pointed out earlier, Hadley. Well, here's a here's a final question for you. So 2017 is, is quickly coming to an end. And at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about the latest report showing that premiums under the Affordable Care Act continue to increase and choices continue to deplete. Um, so do you think Congress will repeal and replace the ACA before the end of the year and undo the damage that this law has, has done to our health insurance markets? Well, I'm still hopeful that Congress will eventually address the problems with the Affordable Care Act. I think the end of the year, you know, given the other priorities um, that Congress has to address and um, given that they're uh, currently in the process of marking up a pretty comprehensive tax reform bill, I don't know if that timeline is um, necessarily something we should hope for. But I do know that uh, if President Trump were to act to change uh, the incentives for lawmakers and align their interests with those interests of the American people, people who buy Obamacare plans with no special treatment, no special subsidy, um, that that would surely help to bring about change um, and the right kind of change in, uh, in a more timely manner. So this isn't just an issue of fairness, but it also happens to be an issue that bears upon good lawmaking. You know, if we know that people voting on the laws have to live under them the same way that you and I do, um, then that, of course, is an incentive for them to make better laws. And I think that's a, a key argument uh, in favor of getting rid of this special treatment. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But let's hope that the end result is, is relief for the Americans who have been suffering for years under the Affordable Care Act. Okay, this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. Thank you, Hadley, for being our guest. To our listeners, if you are interested in learning more about Congress's special exemption from the Affordable Care Act and other issues, check us out at IWF.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.